You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. So, okay. Right this way. I came to Harlem to reconnect with my son. It didn't play out like a plan, but it set us on that path. Why don't you come back to Georgia with me? Why don't you come on home, son? You know, you always used to tell me to finish what I started. My work in Harlem isn't done yet. I gotta see this through. It's a burden. I know. The darkness that you deal with every day, the people disconnected from their souls. Well, that kind of work can make you angry. It can consume you whole if you let it. you make your calling a curse. You'll be better than me. You know, the best part of you, you got from your mother. You follow that compass inside of you and you will never go wrong. You know, some of the better parts are from you too. Swagger. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. I am just so excited to be back. This week is very busy as I am heading off to Dragon Con, but I wanted to make sure to get in a show. And luckily we have the brand new Luke Cage Season 2 from Marvel on Netflix that just dropped not too long ago. And so I am very excited to welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, it's been a while, but the one and only editor of the Star Wars Report, friend of Bruce Gibson, husband of Christy Morris, who is famous now on this show, Michael Morris. You're, you're not faster than Usain Bolt, you know. I, I, you know, I never said I was. <laughs> so I did. I just never. Just, I'm I never just saying. Was, so, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm 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 excited to have you here, man. And uh, I can't wait to to dive into some Luke Cage, uh, especially since you know I coming into this one, I I liked season one a lot of Luke Cage, and so I was actually looking forward to this. So I can't wait to to dig into this season. But before we do that, just a quick reminder: you can find us all over the place. Make sure you're following us over there on Twitter at Trek FM. Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Like us there. Uh, hit us up with a star rating review on uh, iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, make sure you're doing that because that really does help people find the show. You know, there are a lot of shows like The 602 Club. And if you enjoy The 602 Club, make sure you let people know and help uh, people find us when they're searching for podcasts on iTunes by giving us that star rating and review. And if you do, we will call you out on the show we'll read your review so you will be internet famous yes that's right your review will be read here you can also find us online at track.fm we also have our listeners only discussion group which if you enjoy talking to other fans about all the different shows you listen to the babel conference is the place for you go over to facebook type babel into the search field there or you can go to our website at track.fm as i mentioned and every show page for any of the podcasts, has a little button there that says discussion. Click that, and it'll get you into the group. And then last but not least, maybe 
you would like to write us an email. I love getting emails. It's been a while. So go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that email will come straight to me and any host that's on that week. So, Michael, uh, did were you on the Luke Cage show? Was that the last time you were here? Yeah. Um... I don't know if it was the last time. It it was either that or the Battlefront Two book. It was it, whichever yeah. one of those. Mm, I can't remember. Came I'm after to that remember. was last time. But I know, yeah. Hmm. But I'm glad to have you back because, again, I know you you love Marvel and you love Luke Cage, and so this season was fascinating. We're gonna jump right in to this season because there's always so much to talk about with one of these shows, and. I felt like that this is very much the journey of Luke Cage, very much about him and who he wants to be as a hero, specifically after his experiences with Luke Cage season one and the Defenders and now this. And I was really surprised, honestly, by where they end up bringing this character in the end. Um because I kind of thought that Luke Cage, of all of the Defenders characters, was the one that had the strongest moral compass. Right. And Yeah, I agree 100%. And yet, where we end up with him is just so fascinating, especially by the end of the season. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's interesting. And, and I'll... I'll be honest. I'm. Uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like I kind of don't need to talk through it to to see if I feel like like I don't have a problem with it as much as I'm. I'm just kind of curious if um, I'm not sure if I if I necessarily think that it made sense that that's where he ended up by the end of it. If that makes sense. Um, I don't know. It just it sort of felt like just at the very end, just a hard swerve. But maybe I don't know. Maybe we talk through it and then uh, kind of highlight some of, mm. of of the movements in that direction. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do see what you're saying because I feel like I was I, I did actually have to kind of go back and kind of think about the season and, and, and think to myself, okay, does this work? And one of the things that I was was specifically thinking about was how the entire season Luke is trying to do the right thing, you know, by uh, taking out these other kingpins. You know, not that kingpin, but, you know, all, all these other no, right, mob right. bosses, um, these other faction bosses. And every time that he does, it honestly kind of makes things worse. You know, uh, he takes right. Mariah off the street. It turns into gang warfare. Um, Harlem basically opens up. Uh, and so with that context, it helped me see how Luke could feel that maybe maybe I just need to be the philosopher king. You know, maybe I need to be the king um, and I just need to be the guy that takes it all on my shoulders and, you know, it'll be okay. Like, uh, because I know me, I'm not going to, you know, turn into something I shouldn't. Um, so he's doing it with the best of intentions because of the experience he's had where, you know, trying to play by the quote-unquote rules really isn't working, you know, like just taking out the mob bosses, letting the law work, it, it you know. Um, and what he's realizing is, you know, things seem to be much more complicated. And so the moment that he decides to go talk to the Italians um, to kind of broker a peace was I felt like his first step into you know this godfather-like territory it's very complex and and that was one of the things that i really liked was um you know after season one it's like would you think that come season two he would basically be uh you know that you would essentially see him like working alongside mariah at points and then turn around and he's working with uh bushmaster and then he's back to you know it's it, there's a lot of um like flip-flopping back and forth as he's trying to do the right thing, he ends up essentially helping one bad guy or the other um, while, you know, because of what's going on at that point and, and him trying to be the good guy. So it's, I don't know, I, I found it really interesting and I thought made for uh, 
a, an interesting sort of roller coaster ride. In the end, it it makes him at least at the end of this season like the benevolent Cottonmouth mm-hmm. or the benevolent Mariah. You know, he's right. just right. taken their place. And what I, I thought was kind of fascinating was to see him see the value in what they had brought to the community and then try to do it in a way that is more morally upright. And yet at the same time, he's really just, he's he's going down that, you know, path of good intentions, you know. And in the end, it 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 was fascinating too because I, he gets played by Mariah one more time. And Mariah is one that's, see, I, I liked last season, but I felt like as soon as they killed Cottonmouth, it sort of took a step down and yes. never really recovered. Um, because, at, at, you know, Willis or uh, um, Diamondback is just not that interesting to me. And at least not Mariah, as they portray. I mean, yeah. Right. But Mariah was like, yeah, she's okay. But I think this season she really stepped it up and, and became very interesting. I love um, just. All the the dual nature of that character, you know, where she's she's constantly trying to be one thing, and then you'll see her as something else. You know, one of my favorite lines um, is when her and Misty are arguing, and uh, so Misty walks off, and she's like, "Make sure to uh, close the barn door on the way out." Half of you know, and like just antagonizing her, and it's just it's like those little like petty moments and stuff that I think makes that character. Um, you know, a lot more complex and interesting than just being, you know, your uh, hand-wringing bad guy. Well, and what I thought was interesting is that in the end, it leaves you to wonder in the journey of Luke, is she going to have the last laugh, basically? You know, metaphorically speaking, she's dead by the end of the season. Sorry. Um, But will she have that last laugh in the sense that she has taken the virtuous Luke Cage and unbeknownst to him kind of turned him into a version of her to where he will continue to to try to do the right thing by doing the wrong thing and uh, by by being the king of Harlem and uh, ruling it in that way just the way that she did and it I what was interesting about it was that I felt like in some ways you could kind of see was there a was Mariah ever like that? You know, like it made me question, was she ever like a Luke Cage type character where she felt like she was doing the right thing because she loved Harlem and she became what she became in this season? And is that what we're going to be asking then in the next season with Luke? Will he be able to rise above or will he just succumb to you know the weight of you know the weight of Harlem's paradise basically I don't know it's it's interesting but the thing is I don't know that it was so much you know unbeknownst to him I think because it seems like they said something where he realized what she was doing but he was still tempted anyway you know that he where he's like oh well yeah I, I see what she wants but I I can do this, but I won't become her, you know. And he and he still he still takes it anyway, you know. It's almost the uh, <laughs> like she's offering him the the ring of power, and she's like, "Oh no no, yeah, I I can defeat Sauron with this. I you know I don't I, I won't turn evil like the, those other guys." Well, and then I, so I wanted to ask you, so the moment like when he's being offered Harmless Paradise, and he says, "Burn it." I was like, yes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> like, yes, he resisted, you know? And then you see right. him in Harlem's parents' life. He's like, no, you fool. Like, there is a part right. of me that, like, I, I... So I get what they're doing, and and, and the, the whole point is to bring your character down this this path to challenge him, right? Um, and, it, it, you know, it makes for... He's not Captain America, you know? <laughs> He's he's not going right. to make that choice, right? And and so, but 
I, there was another part of me that I just I was kind of crushed by him choosing this. So it works mm-hmm. perfectly, but it left me feeling so kind of melancholy about the end of the season because there's there's no real victory then at this point. There's no real right. victory for Luke, especially with him pushing away the two women who have been by his side the whole time and kind of have helped him, you know, stay on the path of the righteous, right? And and I was right. I was just fascinated to see him just kind of disregard both of them in the end. He kind of dis and dismisses both of them and it was just like, man, this is this is boding badly for where we're going to end up in season 3 with Luke. Yeah. Well, I'm honestly I'm I'm hoping that they do like a Defenders 2 or something like that and sort of handle it there so that we can or, or maybe they'll do a cuz look, here here's what I really want. Um and and they they hint at it just like they kept hinting about Misty's arm back in in season 1 where they're like, "Oh, we're going to cut it off." Nah, nah, it's not yet. And they're like, we're going to, nah, it's not yet. And then they come, uh, defenders are like, okay, we're cutting our arm off. You know, with this one, they kept kind of hinting at the heroes for hire. And I'm like, just give us the heroes for hire already. So I'm, I'm wondering if we're not, maybe, maybe season three will lead into heroes for hire or, or something like that. I, I think actually I would prefer that to, to them redoing defenders, um, and, you know, just basically, because I think that would probably work best anyway. It'll depend on how season two of Iron Fist goes. But, you know, it's like, you know what, just pair pair those two together and it'll be good. And then, you know, I think it'd also be great, you know, just do a Daughters of the Dragon show and put uh, Colleen Wing and um, Misty Knight together. Like, I think those are the shows I'm like, I, I want those shows. So... I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, by the end of it that that's where they're leaning, but we do have, you know, like uh Iron Fist season 2 coming up, so mm-hmm. well, see and, how they uh, handle Misty that. Well, Misty is in Iron Fist season 2 cuz I saw the trailer and I was like, okay. Which, by the way, I couldn't stand Iron Fist season 1, but season 2, saw the trailer, it looks legit. So, I mean, yeah, I think they've um my yeah. understanding is they've they've gotten a a new team. Um, That's probably a good like idea. The, yeah, so so maybe <laughs> that'll change stuff. Like I said, I'm I'm one of the people who I'm like, it's not bad. It's not great, but it's it's not the worst thing ever. You know, it's it's just really mediocre in my opinion. <laughs> that's very. I mean, that, that's a good way to put it. Uh, but no, I right. I think you know it, it. The whole process for Luke here. Uh, as a character I thought was so interesting and and really kind of seeing him struggle with trying to do the right thing and be the character who, who is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and not necessarily having any idea how to do that. You know, it, it's fascinating to me to watch these shows, to, to watch these, you know, quote unquote heroes try and figure out what it means to be a hero and what's so fascinating to me as well is that, I mean, they have, you know, the, the Avengers live in this world, right? But they're so also disconnected from that. So there's there's no there's no one to help, you know, Luke Cage figure his ass out, you know? I mean, just, I feel like he could use a good talk from Captain America, but, you know, Cap's a little busy <laughs> with other things. Yeah. Um. And uh, well, it's like you said, he's kind of I feel like he's the moral center to the defender. So it's like when he's having those problems, like, well, who does he go to? Well, and and that's I mean, uh, that's the thing. I mean, I, and we could probably talk about it right now. But, you know, having Danny Rand in this show, the one episode he was in was probably the best episode of the season. And it was interesting to me to see Danny kind of be the the more morally upright, more obviously Zen-like character who who really has finally found a way to... I mean, Danny in the show was complete opposite of what he was in Defenders and I feel like uh, his own show. You know, it, it's like he yeah. they, they finally kind of figure out how to write this character where he's not obnoxious. He actually feels kind of more like a, you know, a dragon... Iron Fist master, like he, he feels like somebody who who has found his. Well, center. mostly just because he's not telling you that he's the Iron Fist. Well, and I was minutes. disappointed because I didn't know he was. 
So I was like, who You're are like, Wait, you? Who's this you guy? <laughs> He's not announcing it every five seconds, so I'm not going to know who he is. <laughs> I just, I was like, who is this guy? Oh, Glowy Fist. Okay. I mean, Iron yeah. Fist, right. Mm. <laughs> right. Right. But no, I mean, what was what was fascinating to me was to see him kind of be the role that I felt like Luke was, especially in the Defenders, um, and be the moral compass that Luke is kind of losing, you know, which was kind right. of interesting. And and that's the thing too. And I and I know uh, you had it here on on the notes to talk about too, because um, I think a lot of the stuff comes from outside. Uh, issues uh for instance the guy who played his father uh like passed away in the middle of shooting um and like that felt very obvious where it's just like all of a sudden he's just not there anymore and you're like wait (laughs) you're like i feel like he should probably be here you know in in some of this it's like yeah that's not gonna happen you know um and then of course uh which I think this was something they saw early on, so they they were able to sort of ride it. But I, I still felt like it was maybe a bit abrupt, which was uh, Claire leaving him. Um, that was because, of course, she is uh, doing another show, so she had to leave uh, production basically to to go work on some other show. I think it's for Netflix. I can't remember exactly, but um, so that's why. Even in the end, like you don't see her. It's just like, oh, Claire's here, and then it's like. Okay, you know, they just they basically had to sort of write her off. Yeah, I you know, just the 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 people that visit him and and specifically I I felt like it was really strong to have Danny in the show. I really enjoyed what he kind of taught Luke, and I loved that Luke actually used it later on too. Like he kept visiting that spot, you know, the high ground um and you know, using it as an opportunity to be able to get away and to think, which I thought was smart. Um so I really liked that. And and honestly, they just have good chemistry as actors together mm-hmm. and they play off each other well. And and I just I'm like, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I would love an entire show that's them together. Uh and part of that was is because I feel like, you know, Luke needs somebody else at this point. Right. And, you know, I feel like he kind of needs Danny Rand to come iron fist slap his face <laughs> iron some fist stuff out yeah for him. <laughs> because he, uh, luke is is woefully wrong in his decision in the end that he makes this is not right. the best way to go and and i think and, and i i could see danny being the one who maybe can talk some sense into luke um especially since as you know we mentioned yeah he pretty much dismisses claire at the end like tell claire to go home you know like yeah I, he and part of that is because I feel like he knows what he's doing is not the right decision. And the last person right. you want around is either Misty or Claire up in your business telling you what you're doing wrong because you know those two are not going to keep your mouth shut about what they believe is right. Um, right. So, yeah. But, I mean, Danny can come in, though, and just Zen master you. So. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, because yeah. he did. I mean, that's again, that was the cool thing is like he's just sitting there being silent and everything. And he kind of just by example, he teaches Luke that some some ways to 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 do life a little bit differently. Um, so I feel like mm-hmm. he could do it again. So, yeah, more more Danny Rand. I never thought that I would say that. I never <laughs> thought that I would right. say that after. The Fist. Um, right, right. But I, well, and and. The thing that I thought was really one of the most interesting things about the show is just kind of this Luke Cage in some ways kind of feels like a he's not a background character, but what really took center stage for me in this show was the family feud that he gets caught in mm-hmm. the middle of with the Stokes right. and the Givers. And that was fascinating to me to see the way that this blood feud has been going on for generations and how it's i mean it destroys so many people and so many things in their wake um and they're awful people they're just like awful people well i i mean the i don't know that the macgyvers were really that bad though well put it this way 
it's it's Bushmaster's way of seeking vengeance on the Stokes yeah. that is just as bad as what the Stokes did to him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's the rest of, I, to, of to, his to, family is not like that at all. It's only him, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. his uh, is it his brother? Or not his brother, but it, I mean, it, the, he treats him like a brother that's with him the entire time. Right, you know, his best Maybe, friend. Was it his uncle? Well, his I, I know his it seems kind of young. The one who owns the restaurant, uh-huh. but I don't okay, remember. Okay. I don't remember what the relation is between him and, and the guy who's with him the entire time helping him out. Right. I don't remember if they ever right. even said. So okay. Um. But yeah, I mean, just yeah. what they do and what they're willing to do to the Stokes and mm-hmm. to other people that are involved with yeah. him is just as bad as what the Stokes did to them. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Stokes was especially there there at the the end in in the restaurant where Mariah just goes way too far. Um I think his his whole issue is it's it's almost the whole, you know, like if you seek vengeance then bury or you know, then you need to dig two graves or whatever type of deal. You know, I think he just he seems like he's not that bad of a person per se he just become consumed with vengeance and it sort of tore him down Uh, yeah well i mean i would say that for him it becomes the yoda axiom of fear leads to anger anger leads to hate Mm -hmm. hate leads to suffering he allows that to fester and he seeks vengeance um, which he will achieve at any cost no matter who gets in his way and he is not above hurting innocent people that get in the way and he does and so in -hmm. the end it doesn't really make him that much better than that which he's fighting on a whole i mean i i think you when you look at it i mean obviously from mama mabel all the way up to to mariah uh, there are just dreadfully awful people who are willing to do the most awful things to others to stay in power, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're like the gangster Sith Lords of Harlem. I mean, really, <laughs> right. they just what they're willing yeah. to do to stay in power is abhorrent. I mean, it, it, there's no mm-hmm. other word for it. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of the, the family aspects of the show i thought were, were really interesting and, and getting back to even like uh you know luke's journey i felt like especially as the show goes on luke sort of becomes i don't know it's probably not the best phrasing for it but almost like a, a man child you know where it seems like he's like he's wanting to try to figure out what kind of hero he's supposed to be or whatever but it's really almost like he's actually coming into his own as a man uh, as well, you know, um, and and a lot of that with his relationship with his father, you know, and and him basically growing up, trying to, you know, determine, I guess, to uh, reevaluate his moral compass and and try to, uh, you know, try to see the the righteous path, I guess. You know, that to me, that was one of the more interesting uh, aspects of it. And I like the idea of especially how they painted his father in season one. And then come season two, you see that his father's not really that horrible. You know, it's like, yeah, he, he has his, uh, his faults and everything, but he does want to be there for Luke. And he does, you know, he does see him as his son, you know, like I love the point where he's like, um, he's like bulletproof or not. Nobody shoots at my baby, <laughs> you know, yeah. like where he, he has that, uh, you know, he has that, uh, fathership like mentality to it. I, I really, really enjoyed his character. And that, that was the thing is that I hated that. Um, it does seem like, uh, he kind of just drops out right there toward the end. See, yeah, I think, you know, from, from the, you know, family feud to the the family matters. I do feel like the show is all about family in some way, shape, or form. You know, whether it's Luke and his his dynamic with his father, or Tilda and her his her dynamic with her mother, Mariah, and everything that's gone into that. And what I thought was fascinating is that they both have very 
uh, skewed childhoods. You know, the, their childhoods right. are pretty awful in the sense that, you know, Luke learns that his father is an adulterer and has had another child, you know, that awful stuff there. You know, Tilda learns that her mother was raped by her uncle and is actually his child. And so what you get is this um, this total degradation of, you know, what's supposed to be a safe place for kids to grow up, which is in family. And right. it's it's really the kind of the destruction of the family. And I think you're you're right to call out that Luke is is trying to figure out who he is. And it's one of the reasons I think Claire continually tries to get him to go to his father, have that conversation to move past that because it is holding him back. But his anger at his father, I think you're right, does kind of create this kind of man child who because of the anger he has does things in a way that he's not willing to listen to advice from people in authority or, or right. what we consider authority because of the the relationship he has with his father and it's all, what's interesting is they they do patch up their relationship but it comes very mm-hmm. late in the right. season and by that point i think luke has already kind of made the decision almost of where he's going to go and right it's a little bit too little too late. And like you said, you know, the, the, I like the man boy thing. You know, I feel like Luke, what we're seeing is is the lack of a strong parental figure there to, um, and especially a father figure, to help him move forward, to move past, to move yeah. on. Um, and, and to learn to be what, I mean, to truly understand what it, it means to be a man and part of that was is that there's a lot of pride running through these people right and prejudice yes. so yes there's a yeah. lot of pride and there's a lot of prejudice um, no zombies for yeah no zombies uh, but <laughs> that pride and prejudice is actually something that that's hurting the relationships through all of these different characters you see it with uh, Mariah um, and the way that she feels obviously about the the MacGyvers and the the Jamaicans in general, um, the way she feels about her own daughter. You see that with the way that James relates to his son Luke, and that there's this pride for mo- so much of it where he won't just admit to his son he was wrong. Like he doesn't say he's sorry to Luke till after halfway through the show, and you're like. Right. Shouldn't have that, if you're going to patch things up with your son, shouldn't you just come out and admit, hey, I was wrong, instead of fronting to your son all the time about how, boy, don't talk to me like that and that kind of stuff. Like, there's there's this pride that continually gets in the way with these people. And, well, you know, there's a famous saying about pride and how it leads to a fall. And, I've, and what's interesting is that pride and prejudice leads to the fall of every single character in this show. Um, right. and Luke is just setting himself up for the fall by the end of the show. And I thought that that was fascinating because, you know, nobody comes out of this unscathed. Um, and, and I, I, part of that, I think in the end is the way in which all of these families are completely 100% dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting how so much of it has that uh i mean you you really can look at the, the three characters you know bushmaster mariah and luke and then see those parallels about where they're dealing with something about their family and they're also all three of them have this thing that they can't get over that ends up leading to their their fall you know bushmaster he can't let it go. everybody's telling him you know to let it go to not seek vengeance against mariah you know, Mariah, um, everyone's telling her, you know, like, sell the stupid painting, you know, and, and she's she's trying to get away from who her family is. And even though she has like all this hatred uh, for her, her family and she wants to be better than them, and it basically leads her to being exactly like them. Um, and then of course, Luke has, uh, you know, his issues with his father, like we were just talking about. So it's, it's interesting how they all three have these, these commonalities, um, that sort of put them in the same place. 
And it's interesting because they all they all become the things that they don't want to be. Yeah. You know, like you said, Mariah becomes exactly who she doesn't want to be, which is Mama Mabel. You know, uh, Bushmaxer becomes the thing that he doesn't want to be, I don't think, in the end, which is the Stokes. Dead. Uh, and then Luke <laughs> becomes the thing he doesn't want to be, which is to be right. Mariah or Cottonmouth. But they right. all end up kind of morphing into these different characters and because they can't move past um, the past. And that's mm-hmm. what I thought was fascinating is this whole idea of like kind of moving past things, which is right. uh, his uncle, um, Macintosh, who who owns the uh, Paul Macintosh, Ananasi, I think. Uh, anyway, he owns the restaurant and he keeps telling Bushmaster, let it go. Move past it. Look at what we've built. Look at who we've become. You know, we've we we let go of hatred and we built this restaurant. We've become, you know, uh, nurses and doctors and lawyers and, you know, all of these people, all the the, 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 the Jamaican people have become um, because they let go of this hatred and this revenge uh, cycle and they've made great lives for themselves. And I thought that that was fascinating because it really does go to show how vengeance you, you really do. You have to dig two graves. You end up destroying yourself when you try to get revenge the way that, mm-hmm. you know, Mariah and Bushmaster try to get revenge against each other. And it just keeps escalating until you both destroyed each other. Yeah. Yeah. But man, talking about the uh, the Jamaicans that when when Luke first goes into the uh, the restaurant and he sees those old men, they had me rolling. I mean, yeah, it was that so was awesome. funny. Where they're like, like, hey, you looking for a job? No, then go block the sun somewhere else. <laughs> that was <laughs> awesome. Like, it's so funny. And it's like this guy, like you know who this guy is, and like you've seen him, uh, like just beating the crap out of everybody on YouTube. But these old men do not care. They just like they think it's funny. It's like, oh, I got something funny to say to him. Oh yeah, me too. You know, and they just keep harassing. It is so funny. Well, what did you think too? Because uh, you know, on top of you know Bushmaster's uncle telling him that he should get out and just enjoy life, you know, Shades is in many ways trying to do the same thing with Mariah. And I found right. him to be probably the most fascinating character this season, Shades, because of his arc, what we find out about him, and then where he's trying to go. I, I just didn't necessarily expect that from him after that first season. And, and he really, I, it was, I don't know, it was sad to see where he ends up, that he just can't free himself. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a um I don't know how to explain it. He's just he's he's one of those characters where it's like especially after the first season where he just he seems so unkillable. And and then now this time it's like it almost just seems like he just completely like buried himself, you know. I, I don't know. It's just um it's just interesting, you know. I mean like you know, he he cares for Comanche and everything and then he, he just turns that gun on him and, and just kills him immediately and it seems like that was essentially his um that's probably the wrong terminology but like his his original sin you know like that that's the the moment where he truly becomes lost well and I guess the uh, the question though is is that there is that moment of lostness but then he turns himself in and he's the only one that gets to confess all of his sins basically and yeah, find a way but... to find some kind of freedom in that like he's the only one who gets to to do that in the show everybody else just kind of continues either to live in their sin or to create new ones like Luke where you know he he becomes uh the godfather of Harlem Shades is the only one who who kind of 
not really, it's not that he gets to wipe the slate clean or anything, but he gets to let it all out. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting that he's the only one who really gets that opportunity that's in that life to let it go. Yeah, but I mean, but two, um, I mean, it was almost sort of like, it was less of like him, I felt like it was less of him getting it off his chest as much as he finally got to like brag about it. See, I thought that too, but then the moment mm-hmm. that she shows him the pictures of the murder at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's there's no there's no more fight in him. Right. There's no more pride in him. Because for him, I feel like he's he's putting up a front that whole time. He's trying mm-hmm. to get a rise out of Misty. And so but but it's at that moment you can see that he doesn't truly feel I don't feel like he truly feels proud of the life that he's lived which is why he spent this entire show trying to get out of it uh, and try to go legitimate because he desires a life that's free like to be free Mm -hmm. like that's what he wants right right and and it's crazy that because like the whole thing was he's like just sell that painting you know and it's like it seems like such a an easy thing but like she because she just won't let go of that painting because of like i said of the whole like weird um family uh, situation she has you know where she both seems to love and hate and you know she can't get away from the fact that that's who she is and everything um it's just it's so bizarre you know and and but and then he starts to have those issues himself you know i mean like that's really what gets them into all of it when he um kills the the first guy that they were going to sell the guns to you know because he he can't control his temper and ends up killing that guy and that's sort of the the catalyst for everything that comes after well and that raises an interesting question because the entire show the especially mariah and shades are trying to redeem themselves. They're trying to find some sort of redemption. And Mariah keeps talking about how she's going to do this good and it's going to wipe all of her sins clean. But I thought it was kind of fascinating that she keeps trying to, you know, redeem sin with more sin, basically. You know, like, redeem evil with more evil. It's like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You know, like, (laughs) you, you can't, you can't, do more evil to, you know, wipe your slate clean. That's that just it it adds more red to the ledger to put it in, you know, mm-hmm. Black Widow terms. Um and I just thought that was fascinating because again, I felt like for our, you know, kind of quote unquote bad character Shades was the one who specifically he wants out. He wants to find some sort of redemption. He wants to be living a clean life. And Mariah says that she wants that. And yet she doesn't really, her actions never really prove that. Um, She basically wants the reputation of being a good person without having to actually be a good person. Right. Yeah. I I think, I think that's exactly what it boils down to is she, I think it's, she wants the salvation without having to change. Without repentance. Right, right. Um, I mean, she she basically, it seems like she's like, okay, I know that, you know, the, the way to salvation is to to do good, but I'm not, like, like in my heart, I'm not good, and therefore you know, that's going to control my, my actions and it's just going to kind of keep leading me back that way. You know, she doesn't realize it's like, no, you have to, you can't just like, you have to change yourself before you can change your actions, you know? And, and I don't think that, I don't think it's so much about, you know, it, she doesn't want to do good to do good. She wants to do good, you know, to, to save herself essentially. Well, she wants to do good to get the reputation of doing good, which is the exact opposite of why you do good. Doing good is right. is should be its own reward, whereas that's not that's that's not what she's looking for. She's looking for mm-hmm. people to see her 
as a good person instead of just being a good person. And there's yeah. there's that like we're saying there's a complete difference in that and like it, you you cannot become a good person without changing the heart of who you are inside mm-hmm. and she's not willing to do that in the end and right you know and 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 uh, you know I think there's a sense in which I wonder where they're going to take the character of shades because it almost seems like he's kind of realized that because at the moment where he, he could have killed um, Bushmaster's aunt, he doesn't, mm-hmm. he can't. Right. Um, and it's the first time he can't pull a trigger. And so there does mm-hmm. seem to be a, a sense of change happening there. And so honestly kind of fascinated to see where they take that character to see if there is some, if there's any way he can find some redemption. Um, no, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, though, because it's I, I went back through, but I didn't get back, all the way back through the the episodes. Um, seems I was thinking he was left in prison, though. Was that not? Well, no. I, I mean, I'm end? just saying. I'm wondering what what they'll do with him. You know, if he'll yeah. he'll be able to, you know, find some kind of redemption in the end. So yeah, see, I I don't know because like I said, I think that's kind of interesting. Is just for like how are they going to write that character going forward? Like because he, you know, they basically um, told him they're like, nope, you actually don't get um, get anything because you know Mariah's dead. Therefore, your deal won't work. So right, um, like you know, basically, it's like you're going to prison for a long time. So it's like, well, are they gonna do a situation of he gets out somehow or is that just sort of a, that character's written off yeah, now? Yeah, that, that's like, the thing I don't know. I, I mean, again, I'm just kind of wondering out loud. It, it would be fascinating mm-hmm. to see, I, again, because I, I thought he was the one who seemed the most complex of character and seemed to truly want something and mm-hmm. kept finding himself thwarted by everything around him um, unraveling, and then you know he still, at the same time, I'm not going to excuse his behavior. He also makes some very bad choices as well, uh, and so that you, it, to me, that's that's interesting character development. I just I want to see more of that. So, how did you feel about? Because this is the one thing that might bother me about the season is the way in which Bushmaster is is introduced to the season and then how he just fizzles out at the end. Like he, he legitimately fizzles out where he's kind of losing his mind cause he's taking too much nightshade and it's, I, I, I kind of liked it. Cause like I said, I think it's, it's, you know, it, it's sort of that metaphorical thing of, you know, like I said, where he, yeah, he does. He just, he, he completely burns himself out, <laughs> you know? I mean, he just, he's, he's going so, so hard for vengeance and he's, you know, using this nightshade, which is destroying his body, but he's, he's still, you know, doing, even though they're telling him like, Hey, you really need to stop doing that. But he, he continues to do it. Um, and, and by the time it's over, you know, it's it does it has you know sort of taken that effect. I I liked that. I thought it was sort of, you know, it, it almost had uh, a, a symbolic uh, nature to it, as well as its <laughs> literal sense. You know. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I'll I'll buy it. Uh, um, I I didn't necessarily have a big problem with it. I did think it was interesting that. What was what was fascinating to me is that he's not actually Luke Cage's enemy. Again, Luke is mm-hmm. caught in the middle of a family feud, a blood war happening between these two families. And and Luke right. is just trying to find a way to keep the peace and keep, you know, mm-hmm. Harlem from tearing itself apart. And I do, I think that makes for a compelling season where what he finds is is that, you know, like you said earlier in the show, like Bushmaster isn't really his enemy. 
Right. You know, um, really the enemy here happens to be Mariah, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens to be Bushmaster at certain parts of the show, you know? And so right. Right. it's what's what's interesting about it is is that they're both the enemy and they're both um the not enemy certain parts that it just depends on what actions they're taking and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so complicated for Luke to try and figure out uh, and and it's what allows him to then be able to work with um both of them at different points and I, I, the complexity of that makes for I think a good show and uh, right. you know I, I think it's it's really well done I will yeah. say yeah uh, the one character I do think who kind of suffers a little bit in the show from being a plot device happens to be Mariah's daughter, where she's just constantly what the the writers need her to be in a certain episode. So, you know, one episode she's like standoffish, the other next episode she's more forward. You know, like it seems like she becomes a plot device a little bit more than an actual character sometimes to me. Oh, really? See, I actually really liked her a lot. Oh, I um, like her. Because I, I just felt yeah. like when I was thinking about her storyline throughout the entire mm-hmm. season, it, it, it the actress was fantastic. Like, yeah. it was top-notch acting, I felt like. Because so, my thing was that I felt like where she did kind of change, I, I felt like I... I felt like they give good justification for why she was, you know, why she was the way she was, you know, that, that basically she feels like she cannot trust her mother, but then she decides that, you know what, I do want, you know, family's important. I do want to give her this chance. And then of course, you know, she, but as, as that kind of goes along, she's just like, mm, I don't, you know, I'm seeing like, you're saying you want these things, but then there's like, you know, these strange men that show up with these duffel bags, you know, and you're, you're ushering me out of the room. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like you're, you're changing like you're saying you are. Um, and then at the end where, you know, when she tells, uh, the story about, um, you know, her, her father and everything, I was like, Oh my God. You know, like that was like, I feel like that's probably the worst thing you could actually say to a person. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, from from a she's gonna need a whole lot of serious therapy. Well, you know, I would think that, uh, but at the end, I was like, wow, she's actually the one who seemed to, you know, kind of figure it out. You know, where at the end, she instead of taking, um, you know, because it it was sort of a, a um a reversal of Mariah. You know, where Mariah was always, let's see, what uh, I'm trying to. So Stokes was her her maiden name. And then uh, she was married and says Dillard, right? Yes. So you know she always wanted to to be known as Dillard, and um, you know even though she she was a Stokes or whatever. Whereas at this, you know, with um, uh, um, Tilda, it was you know she was Dillard, but in the end she sort of realizes who she was, you know, because um, Johnson was was who they. had who had basically raised her, and so she just takes that name for a last name. I, I thought that was really compelling. You know, I, yeah. I liked that she... But I also feel like, too, that she was pretty angry when she didn't receive... I, I, I read it is that she was angry when she didn't receive Harlem's Paradise, mm-hmm. that it was given to Luke. And so I feel like there's mu- there's a lot more story for her. I'll be interested to see what they do with her in the future yeah. because I do feel like she could go many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, she can go down to the path of her mother, which I feel like would be kind of boring. Um, and yeah, uh, so I, I'm just I, I'm wondering what they'll do. But I agree with you. You know, the moment that uh, her mother tells her the story, uh, and and she she acts her little heart out in that scene. It was fantastic as she's calling her mother a monster and it's just, it's it's awful and horrible. And the other thing I just realized, I guess it's kind of a good, good, good time to kind of, you know, close it out and look at some ratings. As I'm, I'm looking to where I'm going to rate this, like, this is a show full of absolutely horrible people. 
Like, (laughs) almost everybody in the show is horrible in some ways. I mean, the only Mm -hmm. character that's not... I I think Claire and Misty and... Well, even Misty kind of deals with her her own stuff. She does, but she she gets over it, you know? Like, she she does what's right in the end. Um, But, I mean, those are the only two characters that aren't just absolutely (laughs) 100% horrible. And because even Luke, by the end of the show, he's he's treading down the path to become horrible. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, man... It's 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 yeah. a, it's rough. Well, like it is a dark uh, dark show. It is very dark. Well, and also George, I think in that uh, the one that was always hanging out at the uh, the barber with pops. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. And I I loved his thing. I absolutely loved his send off where he talks about um, you know that basically pops needs to be Switzerland. He, no, 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 no. Where he, where he was saying that, um, he found out that his daughter had uh, like some sort of kidney disease, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I actually, he's like, I never knew her. He's like, um, her mom and I split up, you know, uh, when she was still an infant. He's like, and so I never knew her, but um, she needs a kidney, and I found out that I'm a, I'm a match. He's like, this is my opportunity. You know, and and she said that I was her hero, you know, and it's like that joy that you see with him that he gets the second chance at at being a father. Um, I mean, it was basically like, and I I know it's like sort of uh, peripheral, but like it's like the only um, positive story, you know, it's like the only happy ending (laughs) that this season has. And no, you're absolutely right. It's, it is, um, because otherwise, the i don't know this it, it is interesting to me because uh you know the 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 i have no problem with it but the marvel netflix shows are just as dark as they get and this is one of the yeah. darkest especially with the way that these people treat each other um mm-hmm. so i'm really interested where what do you rate luke cage season two well, let's see you do out of five uh is you can do your, it your out of standard? five ten um, I'll do a, I'll say four out of five stars. I think that's maybe a little, four to four and a half, somewhere in there. I'm <laughs> not, not 100% sure is in there, but yeah, I I really liked it. I, I felt like there were, you know, a, a few little things where I'm like, mm, I don't know, maybe that or whatever. And, and like I said, being able to, uh, and a lot of it maybe that if I didn't know, it wouldn't bother me as much, but like I said, knowing some of the the behind the scenes things and being like, oh, okay, this is happening because of this or whatever, I think dropped it just a little bit for me. But all in all, I thought it was really solid. You know, I would say it is the only show on Netflix for Marvel where both seasons are recommends for me in the sense of like, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, I'm right there with you. I think this is a good four out of five. It's it's a mm-hmm. good show. It's really well done. The only thing that I will say, and we were talking about this on the other side of the bar before we even started recording, which was this show probably should have been about 10 episodes long. There's yeah. a little bit... I love that they like to try and make these more artsy shows. You know, they're, they're trying to be creative and, and all those kind of things. But there are certain times where they're just taking up too much time with that, and they're they're. I feel like it's more padding than it is art, and therefore I I truly feel like that you could cut this season down to three by three episodes, and just have it be ten episodes long, and have a much better show, because you've had to whittle it down um, and and take out some of the things that I think are a little extraneous and do them more succinctly and you would have a, just a much better show. I, I don't understand why these Marvel shows feel like they have to get to 13 episodes unless it's the Defenders and it was only eight. But it's like you're not constrained by it having to be a certain amount of space. 
you're on Netflix. You can do whatever the heck you want. You already do. So allow yourself to only write what you have to write and and don't feel like you have to do a certain number, you know. And so I, I feel like that has hurt a lot of these shows. I don't feel like it really hurts this one, but I do, you know, I... I got the sense uh, in a few of the episodes, I'm like, you know, you really could trim this down and have combined yeah. this with the previous episode and it would have been much better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this one is, in my opinion, this is the the one that's the, you know, it's it's not the, it's the least offender, I guess. Um, but yeah, all of the, the Marvel Netflix shows could stand to be trimmed. Well, and I mean, in the end, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say the same thing, you know, I think sometimes with the DC TV shows on CW, you know, obviously they have to have a certain amount of episodes per season because it's the way that network television works. But one of the things I've enjoyed, say, about the Legends of Tomorrow series, uh, as opposed to the other ones, is Legends of Tomorrow is much more expensive for them to do because of all the special effects. Right. So they only have 16 episodes a season. So sometimes that just helps, you know, I, part of it again, just becomes about how much time you need to tell a story effectively. So, um, yeah, I think you're right though. This is definitely the least, um, offensive in that arena. You know, I mean, even defenders was eight episodes and it almost felt too long. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been six maybe. <laughs> yeah. Just, just make it like a, a two hour movie and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it probably would have worked much better. Yeah, yeah. It's I think one thing though is is maybe the like you said that they're they're a lot darker. Whereas with like Legends of Tomorrow and the Flash, especially, you know, I can I can go through you know what like twenty plus episodes, um, but I think a lot of it is that a lot of times you know it may, it's like maybe they've got a little more fluff or the same amount or whatever, but because there seems to be a lighter tone a lot of the time. I think it's a little easier to digest for me. Yeah, I mean, you got a point there, you know. Um, I think that sometimes that's definitely the case, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want anybody to hear that I have any problem with, with you know, well-done show, whether it's dark or light. You know, I, I think a lot of these Netflix shows prove that you can have these kind of very um, down-to-earth and more hard-edged, you know, hero stories and have them work really well. So I don't think there's any issue with that. But I would say, you know, make sure you don't pad needlessly a series that could be great, but you Mm -hmm. made it 13 episodes and so it's only good. You know, I think that's where I'm saying don't hurt yourself when you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I agree. Like I said, I was just wondering if maybe it's more noticeable when when these shows overstay their welcome just because of that. Whereas Ooh, I, it, I feel yeah. like, yeah, it could be. I mean, when you're got yeah. you know finding out people were born of like incest and people getting burned alive, <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, right. there's only so much of that you want to watch. So <laughs> yeah, you're just like, I need to break now. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch Parks and Rec. Um, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so glad that uh, we got a chance to talk about this. I, I and I did just see. Uh, that uh, season two of uh, Iron Fist comes out soon, so I'll be interested to watch that and cover it on the show sometime. I don't know exactly when we're going to get to it. We have a very busy schedule coming up for the 602 Club this fall. There's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing, um, and I actually have, I'll be honest, I've got a few shows i got to watch coming up as well. Um, some fun things I'll, I'll tease for you folks out there. We are uh, looking to uh, cover... Man in the High Castle, as well as Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan coming up. So some great stuff coming up there. Can't wait to talk about those. Um, Just FYI, as a little note, because uh, I will be gone at DragonCon, as of this recording, I'll be leaving on Wednesday. Uh, We're recording on a Monday. And uh, because of that, I won't be able to do an episode the next week. So please forgive me, but I just I will be out of town and have nowhere to record a show like that. So uh, forgive us. But when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, the world is not a wolf with one, none other than Christy Morris and John Champion as we return to Bond. So um, you know, definitely something to uh, keep you excited. 
want to say a huge thank you to uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Daniel Noah for their support of the show on Patreon. Uh, we are a huge network, and um, there's just no way that we can do this show without people like them. They are the social producers here through Patreon because they realize um, that uh, they love the quality programming they get from Track FM ad-free, uh, and they've decided that this network is worth their sponsorship. And so you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. Help support the network. It costs a lot of money to put this together, and there's no way we can do it without your help. Again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help us out and bring all of these shows to you each and every week. Now, Michael, um, man, been fun talking about Luke Cage Season 2. Let everybody know where they can find you. You're a huge Marvel guy. So, I mean, if anybody has Marvel comic questions, you know, uh, where can they <laughs> catch up with you and uh, ask their burning Luke Cage questions? Yeah. Uh, so, I which, I mean, I, I do DC as well. I haven't been doing it as much lately just because I've gotten away from physical comics and DC still does not have an unlimited service like Marvel Please, DC, do that. Yeah, I, I don't need think it. they're going to do it anytime soon, buddy. <laughs> oh, Close as you're going to get but is going to be the, <laughs> the DC universe. Yeah. So. We'll see. Well, I'll see how it is. I might try it. I don't know. I'm just, trying I'm trying it for... <laughs> I, I signed up for a year because it was less if uh -huh. you did it the, the weekend that they announced it. And uh, I'll try it for a year, see how it is. If you know I don't like it, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can you can find me talking about all sorts of... Star Wars and comic book things, uh, sometimes giant monster movies, uh, although most people tell me shut up, they don't want to hear it, so I'm like, fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, over on uh, Twitter and Instagram, which is just Morris Isley, I have my uh, podcast, Cloud City Casino, which is on the Star Wars Report Network, uh, where we just talk about uh, some Star Wars gaming, and we actually did the uh, classic fighting game, uh, Masters of Terraskazi. Uh, Tereskasi, however you pronounce it. Ah, Tereskasi, uh, yes. Nah, Dryden yeah, taught me. So, <laughs> so that's uh, that's an episode, <laughs> and it's definitely a fun listen. So that uh, that should be coming out uh, by the time everyone hears this. Well, awesome, man. Uh, you could find me, of course, here on the network uh, doing The Orb with Chris Jones. I'm also on Twitter at MattRushing02, as well as on Instagram under the same name. You can also find me uh, on the Nerd Party Network as I'm talking about Star Wars each and every week with my good friend John Mills on Aggressive Negotiations. It is a blast. Um, we are actually going to be at DragonCon together, so we'll be excited to be sharing uh, everything that we're doing over there at DragonCon as well as hopefully a um, an episode where we're both in the same room, which is always enjoyable. Uh, you can find me also doing Outpost with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. Um, we love doing that show. It's so much fun. We are about two-thirds of the way through the Goblet of Fire. So, uh, yeah, join us. It, it, it's the show you can listen to anytime. Uh, whichever book you're reading, you can find the episodes for that. You can read along with us. We're having a blast. And then last but not least, I'm doing a show with my good friend Courtney talking about films through the lens of faith, and that is called Cinema Stories. Thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? Yeah.